This is Tani Talks Radio, the sheer, the lecture where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. Talking a different idea every single week that we could bring elements to mind, we could bring stories, sources, and different aspects to hopefully brighten your days and to brighten your life. Here on Tani Talks Radio for the Rafua and the Yeshua that anyone wants it, especially for the Rafua of those who are involved in different things. And we are talking for the Rafua Shalema of Chaya Leia. Chana Leia Bas Yacha. Chana Leia Bas Yacha should have a refuah shalem. Bekarovin should only know from good things, and everyone else who needs a refuah and Yeshua should get one as well. So oftentimes in life, when we see different situations, we see different stories, we see different happenstances, we automatically jump to one side of the fence. We automatically assume that one position is correct. You know, in every story, there's really three sides to the story people talk about. There's one side, side A, there's one side, side B, and then there's the truth, which is side C, which sometimes we'll never really get to. You can hear Moshe's side of the story, but what about Ruvain's side of the story, and what about the truth in the story? So the question becomes, whose side are you on anyways? Do you hear first side of the story? Do you hear the second side of the story? How do you judge a case? How do you judge a situation, a story that comes to you? Should you even judge a story that comes to you? I often like to say there is no time in life that you should ever judge anyone. And of course, I'm guilty of this, as all of us are. But if you're going to judge someone, the only type of judging you really should do is judging favorably. Judging judging for the side of benefit, for the benefit of the doubt. If you don't know whose side you are on anyway, then maybe you shouldn't take a side to begin with. Because we could think about different stories, we could different think about different situations, we could think about different things in life. And we won't know who to believe, we won't know how to go about it, and we won't understand what is going on in life. Because I could think to myself, how could he do that to me? I can't believe she cut me off like that. Who does he think he is to jump right in front of us? I cannot fathom how she could leave without paying. I've been waiting for three hours and he waltz right in. What chutzpah, what audacity. He has some nerve. Where is the decency? Where's the proper derech eretz? What a shanda. Chances are, if you've said or thought any of those things, or things along similar lines to that, you're guilty of not judging favorably. We're instructed by God through His Torah, through the Bible, to do what we can. In a logical way, Hashem tells us to judge others favorably, to give benefit to, to the people, to give the benefit of the doubt, to think about the other side of the story. To think about the other side of the story, we know the basis of the entire Torah, the basis of the entire Bible, is via hafta loving someone else as you love yourself, but really loving someone else even more than you love yourself, treating others as you would want to be treated is the golden rule. Hillel, the sage taught us when he was talking to that convert in Gemara Shabbos, I believe, on one foot. What is the whole essence of the Torah? Doing others, doing good for others as you would want to be treated. And the whole rest of the Torah is commentary. How often do we judge others? How easy is it to automatically assume that you know or have all the facts? All too often, this is most definitely not the case. 
The Gemara of the Talmud explains that we are obligated to judge someone favorably if they are a tzaddik doing an act that seems negative, to find something positive and look for something good. We will, God willing, see the source in person later. There's an amazing book published by Art Scroll called The Other Side of the Story by Yehudit Samet, which depicts stories and the other side of the story quite literally. A highly recommended and excellent book which literally goes through this topic with stories and looking at the other side, as well as with tips and pointers, a few of which we will, God willing, see soon. Because too often we falsely accuse without giving people the benefit of the doubt, without thinking about the other side of the story. We need to make sure not to judge, but to make sure to budge and to think differently. Go about the story, go about the situation, think differently. We don't know what was going on in a person's life at a time something happened. We can't judge a person for what happened as we weren't in their shoes. We don't know what happens behind closed doors in other people's homes. We can't imagine what it was like to be in such a situation at such a time. We don't have all the info. We can't have all the information. We don't know all the details. We don't know all the story. One of the most famous Mishnahs in Pirkei Avos is don't judge a person at the time of his anger, at the time of his nedra, at the time that a person has the deadline before them. It's all about the proper timing. It's all about the proper understanding of placement. There's a time and a place for everything Kohalas teaches us, and we have to understand how to go about those kind of things. If you're going to judge, I always say, the only type of judging you should do, are allowed to do, are implored to do, is to judge others favorably. That is the one type, the only type of judgment that should ever be allowed. The Pasik teaches us in Vayikra, in Leviticus, Lo Sasar Oval Bamishpot, Lo Sisa Pene Davo, Sahadar Pene Godal, Bet Sedek Tishpot Ami Secha. You shall commit no injustice in judgment. You shall not favor a poor person or respect a great man. You shall judge your fellow with righteousness. Rashi points out, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, one of the great, great commentaries, judge your fellow with righteousness. This is to be understood according to its apparent meaning. Another explanation is judge your fellow favorably. Give him the benefit of the doubt. We are employed by Hashem literally from the words of the Torah to judge others favorably. Hashem exhorts us, commands us, and beseeches us to look at the positive of those around us, judging them to the benefit of the doubt. In my own personal life, when I see someone engaged in a behavior or doing something for which seems quite ludicrous, quite out of character, and quite preposterous, I know I could have the knee-jerk reaction to say, how could he do such a thing? John Doe, an upstanding righteous religious Orthodox Jew, runs into a McDonald's, a store that is not kosher, doesn't have the proper elements that we could eat at, unless you are the one in Israel, but I don't know if that one's around. I immediately think aloud and say to my, not aloud, I immediately think about to myself and say to myself this response, what, John, how could you? I thought you were an upstanding citizen of the Jewish faith. My immediate reaction would be to judge negatively. But I must think to myself, stop, pause, think about the situation logically. Why did he go inside there? Did he have a purpose? Did he have a reason? I'm sure there must be a logical explanation. One of my favorite lines of all time. I say to my wife all the time, there must be a logical explanation. There must be a logical explanation. Maybe he desperately needed to use the bathroom. 
Maybe he was chalashing or like dying from thirst. Das really needed a drink. That was the only store for four miles. He's walking home. His car broke down. He needed a drink. He bought a bottle of perfectly kosher water. It even has the symbol perfectly kosher. This was the only place to get one in the immediate vicinity. Maybe he desperately needed to cha- change in order to give money to a poor person. The possibilities abound and we must try to think through them. A lot of times people who are very good at this, by the way, my wife is much better at this than me, a lot of people who are very good at thinking to the benefit of the doubt think about a preposterous story, think about an outlandish reason, and when they come to the actual event, if they actually come to the person, they discuss the person, they say, wow, that's actually what really happened. There's a story in the Gemara, I believe we'll touch on later, where this also happened. The guy thought 10 different crazy scenarios and the person responded, Kahaya, that's exactly what happened. When we are driving and someone cuts us off on the highway, speeds by us or is zipping through the lanes, quite often my wife will say the classic line, maybe they are rushing to the hospital, need to get there fast. A simple way to think and reframe a situation that could otherwise make us upset. If we are driving and are stuck in major traffic, maybe we could think to ourselves, I hope that no one is hurt. I hope there is no accident. Maybe there is construction. I hope it's road work that is tying up the lanes and that everyone is okay. Don't automatically think negative. Don't automatically accuse falsely halavai how much more so it would be wonderful if it was a simple, non-life-threatening situation, the reason why there is traffic. You know, sometimes people would say when I'm driving, ugh, I hope there's an accident, that's the cause of this traffic. If you think about that, it's actually a terrible thing to say. What, you want there to be an accident? God forbid somebody could be hurt, somebody was dead or, or badly injured. God forbid. It should be simple. There's road work, there's construction. That's why there's the cause of the congestion, and I hope the road work passes fast. We could reframe our minds. We could reframe our thinking that it could be that even when we're sitting in difficult traffic, we could think about things differently. There's, of course, different examples through the Torah and Tanakh about how characters spoke and interacted, especially in this area. Just to point out a couple. Look at this famous example from Shmuel Aleph Aleph. My wife has taught Shmuel Aleph for years. It's a fascinating, fascinating book of Tanakh, of Sefer. Chana is praying in her heart. Chana is praying in her heart. Only her lips moved, the Pusik says. Her voice could not be heard. Eli, the Kohen Gadol, thinks, what do you think? You see her, no one ever before in history has ever spoken and prayed to Hashem like this. Usually they would speak audibly, vocally. You could hear a murmur or something. She was speaking silently. Automatically, Eli thinks she's drunk. Mishtaker, she had wine. You're not allowed to come there when you drink. Eli says to her, how long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Sober up. Chana replies, oh no, my lord, I am a very unhappy woman, a bitter woman. She did not have a child at this point. Her co-wife had a lot of children. I have drunk no wine or other strong drink, but I have been pouring out my heart to the Lord. Do not take your maidservant for a worthless woman. I have only been speaking all this time out of my great anguish and distress. Eli then says to her, Then go in peace, and may God, the God of Israel, grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, You're most kind to him. And she left. She ate no longer downcast. Eli immediately reframes himself and backtracks and says, Then go in peace. 
I was wrong, and God should grant you what you have asked. She was no longer downcast. This may be a source for giving a bracha for falsely accusing someone and not judging favorably. It's a classic example of negatively interpreting the situation. I believe there's a commentator or a medrash that explains that Eli used the Urim Vatumim, literally asking Hashem, asking God about Hannah, about Hannah praying the letters Shin, Chuf, Chaf, Resh, and Hey lit up. He thought it was Shekera, which could be in, interpreted to mean drunk. But really, the letters were mistakenly put together, and if you switch them around, it's really Kishera, kosher, meaning everything was all good. She was really praying in the right way, misinterpreted in the wrong way. You could look at a situation, and you could totally misinterpret it, even getting a divine sign, looking at it in the completely wrong aspect. Another example from Shmuel Bet in the beginning. The Ark, the Aron, is coming finally, finally to the right place in the Jewish people. It was, it caused the death of Uzo when it was being carried and he ran to carry it and it was a mistake. Hashem explained to David and the people that really the Aron carries itself and it looks like it's on the shoulders of the people. So they put it in different places for a couple of months because they were terrified of taking it anywhere. They thought it would be desecration. Finally, finally, David finds out it's time, King David, King David, finds out it's time to move the Aron to a proper place, a proper resting place amongst the Jewish people. Every couple of feet he's making carbonos, he's, he's, he's making sacrifices, slaughtering sacrifices for God. He's so excited, he's so happy, he's blessing the people in the name of God, he's distributing you know, bread to the people, a loaf and a cake, and he goes and he literally dances his heart out in front of the Jewish people. But his wife has a problem with this. Michal, the daughter of Shaul, looks out and sings, sees David, King David, the great king of the entire Israel, leaping and whirling before God. She feels it's a bizarre, and she feels it's a huge embarrassment. David obviously thought it was a huge privilege, davening and, and dancing to Hashem. How could he not? David comes home to greet his, grand, his household. Michal, the daughter of Shaul, comes out to meet David and says to him point blank, didn't the king of Israel do himself such honor today, exposing himself today in the sight of the slave girls of his subjects, as one of the riffraff might expose himself? David answers back very sharply, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father, all his family, and appointed me ruler over the Lord people's Israel. I will dance before the God. I will dishonor myself even more below in my own esteem, but among the slave girls you speak, I will be honored. And Michal was majorly punished. Different commentators explained she was either not able to have a child or she died in childbirth terrible things we should know about but basically totally looked at the situation the wrong way and David is explaining it's my honor it's my privilege it's my great wonderful ability to dance before God and you're looking at it in the wrong way two people looking at the same action in vastly different ways a false accusation led to devastating consequences for one of the characters much later on Shmuel Aleph Yudzayim David, in the beginning, is not seen as really part of the family, as part of the people, was seen as an outcast. Some people say that he might have been from a different mom, and some people thought that his ancestors were back from Rus, who came from one of the other nations, and really 
people didn't understand that a female is allowed to come from that nation, but not a man. So David had a very difficult life, even in the beginning, when when Shmuel, Samuel, the prophet, comes to anoint the next king after Saul loses the kingship for his mistakes. You know, he comes and he checks each of the kids. There's seven kids or so, and, he, and each kid is not correct. God says, no, no, this is not the right one, this is not the right one. It must be this one. He's tall and handsome. Nope, it's not him. It must be this one. Nope. Is there any other children? You know, Samuel asks the father, Jesse, Yishai, and he says, yeah, actually, there's one more who's grazing the sheep. David comes in, this kid that's ruddy with, like, red hair, long hair, very hairy, but beautiful eyes. People say he probably had blue eyes, but <laughs> who knows? Anyway, David comes in, and David was left in charge of the flock, and when Samuel's trying to find which one to anoint, Eliab was one of the ones that he originally thought. And then finally, you know, David is anointed and he becomes the king. And even so, until he becomes the king, he was like involved in transmitting messages for his father to his brother. One time when he's involved in carrying the messages, he comes to his brother, his oldest brother, Eliav. When David comes by, Eliav, his oldest brother, heard him speaking to the men. This is right before David's about to kill Goliath and, and become very famous for taking down the giant. His brother hears him speaking to the men. He becomes angry with David and says to him, Why did you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Like you can't even, you have a simple job, you can't even do it right, is the basic interpretation. I know your impudence and your impertinence. Who came down? Why did you come down here just to watch the fighting, the sport? David replies, What have I done to you? What have I done now? I'm only asking about what's going on. Why is everybody upset? Why is everybody putting down their swords? Who is this person that's that's blaspheming God? This is Goliath, of course, Goliath. And he turns away from him towards someone else. He asked the same questions. The troops gave him the same answers before the day. The things David said were overheard reported to Saul, who brought him over. David's brother basically negatively accuses him of coming for trouble or for a spectator sport when really David was sent by his father to check on his brother and to check on everybody. He ends up saving the whole Jewish people with just a couple of smooth stones and a slingshot. As the story goes, he took down Goliath and chops off his head. He literally saves the day, but totally misinterpreting why David comes down like he automatically assumes that he's there for trouble. The Mishnah teaches us in Ethics of the Fathers in Perke Elvos and Aleph Vav. Yoshua ben Prachia Venitai Ha'arbali Kiblu Mehem. Yoshua ben Prachia Omer Asela Harav. Very important, but for now. Make for yourself a teacher. Grab for yourself a teacher. You have to make it as part of your life. Even if you have to buy them, acquire them, whatever you have to do to get a friend. So get yourself a teacher, acquire a friend for yourself, but judge every person favorably. And I like to talk about on the TTPA when we come to this Mishnah each season, Blinadur. Look at the phraseology, fascinating. They have a done at kol ha'adam, lekapschus. It doesn't say at kol adam, which means judge every person in life, but it also means judge the whole person. Kol ha'adam. You think you know the whole story? You think you know the whole situation? You're not judging the whole person, the whole situation. Kol ha'adam. Notice the wording over there. God willing, we'll touch upon this later. But the phraseology shows us we have to judge the whole person, the whole of the person, the whole of the situation. Whose side are you on anyways? If you don't have the facts, you don't have the knowledge, you can't be on any side you shouldn't be judging to begin with. You're missing the whole person, the whole story, the whole situation. 
the whole person in our life, the whole situation, we are most definitely missing many details of many stories in our life. We are implored by Hashem Himself to judge favorably those around us, by the sages themselves, of course, as God's messengers, asking us in the words of the ethics and morals to go about thinking about others in a favorable and in a benefit of the doubt way. The Mishnah teaches us in 2.4 in Parag Ben and Mishnah Dalad Hillel, one of the great sages, a fascinating character, not for now. Al Tifrol Shminat Sibur Vatamin Baatzmach Ad Yom Mosacha Vatadin S. Hila says, do not separate yourself from the community. Be part of the community. Do what you can for the community. Be embedded in the community. The school and the shul and the community at large. Do not trust in yourself until the day of your death. Do not judge your fellow man until you have reached his place. Do not judge your fellow man until we have reached his place. We don't know what's going on in someone's life behind closed doors. So how can we judge them? We don't have all the facts or all the information, so how can we decide what really happened? We can't really understand a person in their situation unless we ourselves have been in that exact situation, and most times we are not or have not been, so we shouldn't judge them to begin with. Pirkei Avos 4.18, we were talking about the idea of the importance of time, the importance of placement, the of understanding the proper place and the proper time. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Omer, Al teratze es chaver chabeshas kaso, ve'al tenachameho beshas shemeso mutalefanav, ve'al tishalo beshas nidro, ve'al tishtada leroso beshas kalkalaso. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says, Do not try to appease your friend during his hour of anger, nor comfort him at the hour while his dead still lies before him nor question him at the hour of his vow, nor strive to see him in the hour of his disgrace. It is impossible to understand a person's actions or behavior unless you were in their place, especially if they majorly struggle in an area. For someone who loves the smell of non-kosher food, the smell of McDonald's, unless you're in that same situation or feeling, you cannot and will not really understand why they want to or did walk by McDonald's at the time or all the time. It's also of importance to remember the value of timing and place if someone is angry at the moment because they couldn't withstand walking by McDonald's to inhale the aromas that is not the time for Musser. That is not the time for rebuke. That is not the time for criticism. Unless we have such a situation in our own lives, we can't really fathom or understand what others go through, and we should not judge, give benefit of the doubt, or judge favorably, especially if someone is struggling with something, whether it's their meadows or their anger or their money, their entire situations. Don't belabor it again and again every time you see them, even for five minutes. Don't bring it up. They know what they're dealing with. They know what's going on in their life. They know what their difficulties is. Don't put them through the same ringer in a loop time and time and time again. Make sure not to judge, but make sure to budge. 
Eshtakam points out with author Yaakov Aster on the Perkei Elvis Mishnah of 1.6. Judging favorably, the last part of the Mishnah. Judge every person favorably has a few interpretations. It can be teaching that in addition to a rabbi and a friend, you need others, every person in your life, and therefore judge them favorably. Alternately, it could be referring to the way you should deal with your two primary others, a rabbi and a friend. Sometimes a rabbi or best friend may do something that appears out of character. Nevertheless, the Mishnah exhorts us, it tells us, judge them favorably. Do not assume the worst. You're probably missing the full picture. The trick is to look at each person as an aggregate whole, a combination of good and bad who are decent human beings dealing with their life struggles just like you are. The phrase could also mean judge the whole person. Not every person favorably. Even though each of us has our faults, the trick is to look at each person as an aggregate whole, a combination of good and bad, success and failure, who are in the final analysis decent human beings, dealing with their life struggles just like you are as best they can. H.com also points out with author Serio Chavid Riegler, the Torah enjoins us, judge your fellow favorably, justly. The classic commentators explain this to me, judge your fellow man favorably and interpret his actions and words only to the good. From the Sefer HaChinuch. Instead of condemning whenever possible, devise a favorable interpretation. 3,000 years before the advent of cognitive psychology, the Torah recognized that our attitudes and consequently our words and actions are formed not by what the other person said or did, but rather by our own interpretations of what the other person said or did. Therefore, the Torah obligates us wherever possible to find or devise a favorable interpretation. This mitzvah pulls the rug out from under the critical condemning attitude that categorizes much of our interpersonal relations. In practice, it looks like this. Instead of faulting a friend for not calling you back when she said she would, you could think she may have tried to call me back, but my line was busy. Or she may have received an important call just when she was about to dial my number. Instead of faulting your spouse for being late, again... You could think, I'm not time-challenged like he or she is. But how much have I really changed my own ingrained bad habits? Instead of faulting a repairman for not coming when he said he would, leaving you sitting at home all afternoon waiting, you could think, his previous client may have had a more complicated job than expected, or when he, gets, when he went to phone me that he'd be late, he couldn't find my number, or his cell phone battery was low. The result of judging others favorably is that we cultivate a positive, sympathetic attitude toward other people. When we don't think badly about others, we don't speak badly about others, and we certainly don't act angry or vengeful or have behavior of that sort. We don't jump to conclusions. We don't condemn people who may be suffering circumstances far beyond our ken. We avoid a host of sins simply by putting our minds into the mode of favorable judgment. Judging others favorably does not preclude self-protective actions or positive steps to redress wrongs. Judging others favorably doesn't mean to leave your $300 iPod on your desk. When you go to the restroom, it does mean that if you don't find your iPod where you're sure you've left it, check every drawer and pocket before you start suspecting your fellow workers. Often we are sure and wrong. Judging others favorably does not mean that when your child comes home in tears... Because your teacher yelled at and insulted her, you should refrain from taking measures to handle the situation. But it does mean that before angrily calling the principal and demanding that the teacher be fired, you entertain the possibility that you haven't heard the full story. 
and that even if the teacher did act wrongly, extenuating circumstances may have caused the usually fair teacher to act out of character. There are great strategies to judge favorably. From the great book, The Other Side of the Story by Yehudit Samet, from Art School, offers great strategies for judging others favorably. Here is a standard. Stop applying a double standard, please. Many of us judge others severely while we have a host of excuses for our own reprehensible behavior. For example, we grumble about other drivers who double park their cars and thus block a whole lane. But when we double park, it's okay, because our son is just jumping out of the car for one minute to pick up the dry cleaning, and we didn't know there'd be a line. Don't judge your friend until you reach his place, as we talked about in a mission of Bet Hey. This is the Jewish version, dating back 1,800 years of don't judge your friend until you've walked a mile in his shoes. We had it first. This means that even when another person has done something culpable, Consider the possibility that you would have done likewise if you had been in the same situation. Your employee or coworker quits and takes a better paying job showing no loyalty to the company that gave him a start. Before you say, I wouldn't do that, think, but would I do that if I had his mortgage, his debts, his size family? Admit that you don't know the whole story. No court would render a judgment based on insufficient evidence, but we do it all the time. We see someone do something reprehensible and we immediately decide guilty. What do we know of the background of the situation or that person's circumstances or challenges? Conjuring up the humility to admit I don't know can save us from judgments that are severe and wrong. Listen to the story about the plumber from author Sarah Riegler. Several years ago, we put in a new bathroom complete with cabinets and new plumbing. A few hours after the workman left, I turned on the new faucet. The water pressure was nil, zilch, zero. The faucet was defective. The next morning, I called the plumber. Yes, Rami assured me the faucet was guaranteed he would replace it. He couldn't come that day, but he would come the following afternoon. I waited all afternoon for Rami, but Rami didn't show. At 4.30, I called his cell phone. He apologized, but he said he couldn't come. Why not? Where are you? I asked, annoyed. I'm at home, he answered meekly. Well, then just come. You can be here in half an hour. Rami refused. In reply to my entreaties and accusations, he promised to come the next day. The next day... No Rami. By now, the water from the defective faucet was coming out in a trickle. It took three minutes to fill up a cup to brush my teeth. I was irate. What lousy service. But he was the only plumber who could make good on the guarantee. I called again. Again, he promised to come and didn't. Over the next ten days, he failed to show up seven more times. By now, we were filling up basins of water from the bathtub. During that period, I was studying the other side of the story with a friend daily over the phone. One of the strategies the book teaches is to imagine extenuating circumstances that could account for a person's acting improperly. Since we have no way of knowing what this real story is behind the person's actions, the story we make up to judge him favorably is as likely to be true as the condemning version. In that case... I decided to judge the plumber favorably. After all, I told himself, even the worst plumber doesn't fail to show up ten times in a row. Something must be very wrong in his family. I concluded, perhaps, God forbid, one of his children is seriously ill. 
Perhaps the child is in the hospital and Rami's wife is sitting by his bedside all day, so Rami, worried and grieving, has to stay home to take care of the other children. Once I concocted this hypothetical story, my anger cooled. I could fill up a basin of water from the bathtub to use at the sink without fuming. I continued to call Rami every day, but the bark was gone from my voice. One day, the doorbell rang. There was Rami with the new faucet. I greeted him kindly, showed him to the bathroom, and stood there while he worked. Gently, I asked him, Is everything all right in your family? He shook his head. With a choked voice, he told me his story. His wife of 17 years had run off with someone else, leaving Rami stunned and stricken with their six children. A few days later, his wife realized that the man was alcoholic and violent. He threatened her that if she tried to leave him, he would hurt her children. After a few iterations of physical violence, she fled back to her family. While I was fretting about my faucet, Rami was home protecting the lives of his children. You don't have to be highly creative to imagine a story that puts someone else in a good light. You just have to want to do the mitzvah of judging others favorably, the good deed of seeing people in the benefit of the doubt. In the end, their truth may be stranger than your fiction. If we try to think of stories, reasonable stories, to put others in a more favorable light, oftentimes we will be right. But much more than that, it will give us more energy to deal with the situation at hand and more empathy and honesty to deal with all those around us. H.com points out with author Emuna Braverman, If we react without listening, we need to begin by apologizing. I'm really sorry I should have listened to you first. Tell me what happened. Try, if at all possible, to get the facts straight or at least a firmer grift on the facts. Another friend described the scenario. After a play date, she received a phone call. She hung up and immediately launched an attack on her 10-year-old daughter. Shana's mother called to say that when her daughter came over to play with you, you wouldn't share your toys. You didn't offer her anything to eat, and you just sat in the corner and played by yourself? I was shocked to hear that. Didn't we speak many times about how to treat guests? Don't you understand about sharing? Her daughter started sobbing. When she calmed down, she said, That's not what happened at all. I offered her some toys and she wasn't interested. I brought her cookies and some juice and she said she wasn't hungry. Everything I suggested, she just shrugged her shoulders and said no. So I finally gave up and just started playing by myself. Support your child and at the same time encourage her to take the high road. A mother once explained... To say that a bunch of girls were picking on her daughter in school and her daughter was a part of the group. And the author was very surprised, not because the kids are angels, but because it seemed uncharacteristic for this particular child. But the author said, I'm going to speak to her. As the issue was gently raised, the daughter reassured that she was not a part of this group. The author said, I believe you, but since this other girl seems to think you are, could you just apologize anyway? You won't lose anything and you'll make her feel better. There are at least two sides to every story. Sometimes our children really do make mistakes. Yes, it's true. We need to give them a chance to own up to it themselves or explain whatever their story. We need to listen with love and encouragement. With your arm around their shoulder, if they'll let you. You may discover they really did act incorrectly. They may really need to apologize. They may really need consequences. But it will be a very different dialogue. If your main concern is how can I help my child grow through this experience and continue to feel loved versus what will the neighbors think or how could this happen to me? Children could never be hurt by too much love. Aish also points out from Amuna Braverman, 
It makes us think about times that you may have been the one on the other side, wondering why a guest wasn't more helpful at dinner. A friend just sat there as I was struggling with packages. My children's friends didn't make a greater effort to clean up their mess. Yes, it could also be just laziness or bad character of the same qualities I'm sure others were imputing to us. But maybe, just maybe... Maybe they too had a good reason. Maybe they too had an injury that needed to heal, a wound that I couldn't see, so therefore I assumed just didn't exist. There is a person who had a friend who had a heart transplant many years ago. She has a handicapped parking sticker for her car. She doesn't look handicapped. Some outsiders may think she is trying to game the system, but she has an internal issue that requires a parking advantage. We just can't see it. It's hidden to the regular eye. Everyone has challenges, some physical, some emotional, some psychological, and many of them private. Before we make assumptions, in particular before we judge others as inadequate or worse, we need to remind ourselves that we don't know the full story. H.com points out from author Sarah Radcliffe a very common example that oftentimes people may see. Money is missing from your wallet. Your daughter says, I saw Josh take it out of your wallet. What are your immediate thoughts? Pause. Do you first run to accuse him and lash out at him and yell? Or do you take a pause and say, let me think about this situation logically? Do you first give him the benefit of the doubt? Maybe someone came collecting charity or the paperboy came to be paid. Or do you assume the opposite? Do you assume the worst? Judging others favorably is a good deed, is a mitzvah. Instead of jumping to conclusions that your son is the culprit, look for positive possible explanations for the seemingly incorrect behavior. Since we want others to give us the benefit of the doubt, we should try not to be quick to make negative judgments about our fellow humans and come up with escape clauses, possible, reasonable, favorable explanations for their behavior. The Torah teaches that the way we behave towards others is the way that God will behave towards us. Don't you want him to give us the benefit of the doubt? So why not give others the benefit of the doubt? Think about this great story from Nisano Safran from H.com. We all have a courtroom in our head and each of us is the judge and jury. Whenever we see our friend doing something that looks like it might not be right, we make a decision. Will we give him the benefit of the doubt or pronounce him guilty on the spot? The Torah teaches us to judge each other favorably. Maybe there's a good reason why our friend did what he did, or perhaps he didn't see the whole picture. And that's the example here we'll talk about from a story called Double Dip from Nathan from Nathaniel Safran, where we learn the value of giving the benefit of the doubt. Leah Stern had only recently moved into this city. Although it was a big change from the small town where she had grown up, Leah was a friendly, outgoing girl who seemed to be able to adjust quickly. In fact, she had already started to make several friends in the new school. She hit it off with one girl in particular named Debbie. Since they had first met, it seemed like they had always known each other. Leah would excitedly tell her parents about things she did with her new friend. She was especially looking forward to the coming Sunday when Debbie had agreed to come to her house so they could do homework together. Sunday arrived and Leah was excitedly preparing for her friend's visit when the phone rang. Leah raced to pick it up. Hi, Leah, said a hoarse voice on the other end. This is Debbie. (coughs) I'm really sorry, but I caught this terrible cold over the weekend. I don't think I can make it today. (coughs) Leah was quick to assure her friend that she understood and wished her a speedy recovery or a foolish shalema. Feeling disappointed, Leah sat down alone and began to attack the homework assignment she had looked forward to doing with her friend. An hour later, 
Leia put down her pencil. Whew, she said to herself, that wasn't easy, but I'm finished. Then and there, she decided to reward herself for her hard work with an ice cream from Benny's. Though she had never been there, all the kids in school were talking about how great it was, and Leia figured this was a good time to try it out. She enjoyed the three-block stroll down the busy Shopfield Avenue, so different from the quiet, almost empty streets of her old hometown. Finally arriving at the ice cream shop, she got in line to place her order. As she stood in line, she glanced around at the packed tables. Suddenly, she felt a shock. There, sitting at one of the corner tables with a group of kids from her school was none other than Debbie. Although she was wearing her hair in a ponytail, instead of the usual way, there was no mistaking that it was Debbie who was supposed to be sick at home. Not only didn't she look sick, but she looked like she was having a great time laughing and eating an ice cream cone. Leia quickly turned on her heels and sped out of the ice cream store before Debbie noticed her. Some cold. She just wanted to dump me, muttered Leia angrily to herself as she practically raced home, hardly noticing the activity on the street that had so charmed her on the way there. By the time she walked into her front door, her eyes were red and teary. Leia's dad, who had been raking the leaves, noticed his daughter's distress and followed her into the house. Leia, what's wrong? He asked with concern. I thought Debbie was my friend and she made a fool out of me. Leia blurted out proceeded to tell him the whole story. Mr. Stern empathetically nodded as he listened to his upset daughter. And tomorrow, as soon as I see her, I'm going to tell her what I think of what she did, concluded Leia bitterly. I understand how you feel, said her father, but maybe you should give Debbie a chance to explain herself first. From everything you've told us about her since you met her, Debbie doesn't seem like the kind of girl who would hurt somebody like that. Perhaps there's a good reason, a good explanation for what happened and a way to judge her favorably. Leia thought about her father's words, but she couldn't stop feeling angry with her friend. The next day at school, as Leia was walking down the hall, she heard a familiar voice. Hi, Leia! It was Debbie. Leia was about to explode, but then she remembered her dad's words and thought twice. There must be a good reason. There must be a logical explanation. She told herself as she turned around silently in Debbie's direction. Leia couldn't believe her eyes. She thought she was seeing double. There were two Debbies standing next to each other. One holding a Kleenex and next to her another Debbie with a ponytail. The first Debbie spoke up. Hi. <coughs> She said, sorry I couldn't make it yesterday, but the day in bed did me good. By the way, this is my twin sister Eve. I don't think you've met. Leia swallowed. Mm. Hi, Eve. She managed to stutter. Nice nice to meet you. I think uh, I've seen you around. Now Leia realized what had happened and felt very glad that she had decided to take her father's words to heart and to judge her friend favorably. Now Leia realized what had happened and felt very glad that she had decided to judge her friend favorably. Oftentimes we don't have all the facts. We don't know all the information or the full story. Make sure to fact check and to think things through before falsely accusing or jumping to conclusions. Fascinatingly, we have a story, an article from Eliza Ben Shalom, who's very famous right now for the Netflix show Jewish Matchmaking. There are very, very strong views on either viewpoint on either side here in 2023. 
Some people watch it, some people not. But even so, she's trying to show the shidduch business, the Jewish matchmaking, that she's trying to set people up. She's a very famous author and Aish oftentimes talking about dating. And here she talks some examples of how to judge favorably while dating. And picture the scenario. Diana and David are on a date. The conversation was going well until David got a text and decided to read it at the table with Diana. She decided to excuse herself and go to the bathroom so she wouldn't show how offended she was. When she came back, she was clearly upset but didn't say why. The date continued for another half hour. Shortly after the date, Diana called her friend Michelle who set up the date to tell her her side of the story. He was so rude he actually texted during the date. Michelle called David to find out what happened. David answered the phone and said to her in a whisper, I can't speak right now. My brother was in an accident and I'm in the hospital visiting him. I'll talk to you later. When Michelle told Diana what happened, her heart sank. If she had only known. She didn't realize the importance of the text and that he stayed an extra half hour with her before heading to the hospital. Five steps you could do to start judging people favorably. Give others the benefit of the doubt. Assume a person is innocent until proven otherwise. Instead of suing about why David is on his phone, give him the benefit of the doubt. Assume it's an important or urgent call that can't wait. Don't hesitate to ask in the moment, is everything all right? Put yourself in the other person's shoes. Try to think how they must feel. Stretch your thinking as much as you can. Some situations just don't make sense. Was David caught off guard by the urgent text? Was he trying not to worry his date? Was he protecting his brother's privacy? Imagine you were David. Were you feeling pressure, confused, sad? Don't take things personally. What other people say or do has more to do with their issues than yours. Choose to be a person with confidence in themselves. Fake it until you make it. Diana could have told herself that David reading a text doesn't mean that their date wasn't important to him. She could have smiled instead of stewing and waited for more information. Don't be quick to judge. You don't know what's going on in another person's life. Diana can choose to reserve her judgment until she speaks to the person that set them up, until she speaks to them directly. Be careful of what is sometimes called a thought storm. Our minds often spin out of control, out of control, and come up with a story that isn't true. Trying to make sense of a situation that you don't understand is exhausting. It's really exhausting to think so much. Be patient until you can see the whole picture. Don't waste your time with unnecessary thoughts that will then affect your mood negatively. Practice self-control in your thinking. While Diana can't make her thoughts disappear, she can choose not to pay attention to them. What it seems to be appearing on the surface might not really be what you think it is. We definitely don't always know what is really going on. We may be missing a lot of information. Try to think of logical reasons or answers. And Rabbi Daniel Fine points out from Aish, the Torah tells us with righteousness you should judge your fellow man. If you see your friend, you're supposed to meet your friend for coffee, your best friend, something you're looking forward to for quite a while. At the last minute he cancels due to an emergency, but 20 minutes later you see him shopping with another friend. Your natural example, your natural reaction really would be disappointment, maybe anger. How could you lie to me like that? How could you do that? The Torah instructs us, the Bible instructs us to reinterpret the situation and to judge favorably. Maybe there wasn't an emergency. The other friend desperately needed some urgent attention and Karen, your friend, took them shopping to help them out. What's the rationale? We want to be able to lead fuller lives, more beautiful lives. The Torah wants us to be able to do good things and to make our lives better. When we think about other people, as a French rabbi pointed out, Rabbi Corbel, Rabbi Isaac Joseph of Corbel, rather, 
Judging favorably is attribution. Social psychology shows us when it comes to my successes, I attribute the success to me. When it comes to my failures and my mistakes, I attribute them to you, to others, to situational factors. That's the natural bias. When it comes to others, the opposite is true. I ascribe other people's failures to them, but their successes to me or to situations I help them out, the society help them out. We view other people's mistakes as them, and their successes due to an outside factor. My successes are me. My failures are because something else, someone else. Other people's mistakes are them. Their successes are due to an outside force. This is where judging favorably comes into account. It means you take into account that other people's failures might be beyond their control, outside of them, due to external factors, but their successes really are their doing. When I think that there's really a genuine emergency, I'm giving the person the benefit of the doubt, giving an external reason for what happened. It's not being naive, but it's giving a situation some examples, some aspects. We are learning to judge people in a logical, reasonable, and favorable, fair manner. We need to give them fair judgment and we need to do what we can to think about, did something really happen at all? Maybe it's our perception. Are you sure the details are correct? Sometimes the details could be out of whack. Do you know if the other person intended harm? Usually not. Do you know the assumptions the other person was operating under? Could the other person act be innocent or human error? And do you know what preceded the negative action? If we could step back... And we could analyze the situation, judge favorably. The whole world would be so much better. We we don't have all the details. We don't know all the details. We don't know the whole story. We need to give benefit of the doubt. The Gemara Shabbos told tells us if you judge favorably, you will be judged favorably. We need to do what we can to be in the judging favorably. And I want to end off with just a few points talking about that brisa from the Gemara in Shabbos 127a. A brisa talks that there was an incident involving a certain person who descended from the upper Galilee and was hired to work for a certain homeowner in the south for three years. On the eve of the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, he said to the homeowner, give me my wages and I'll go and feed my wife and children. The homeowner said to him, I have no money. He said to him, in that case, give me wages in form of produce. He said to him, I have no produce. The worker then said to him, give me my wages in the form of land. The homeowner said to him, I have no land. The worker said to him, give me my wages in the form of animals. He said to him, I have no animals. The worker said to him, give me cushions and blankets. And he said, I have none. The worker slung his tools over his shoulder behind me, went home in anguish. After Sukkot, a couple of week or so later, the homeowner took the worker's wages in his hand along with the burden that required three donkeys, one laden with food, one laden with drink, and one laden with types of sweets, and went to the worker's home. After they ate and drank, the homeowner gave him his wages. He asked him, when I did not give you the money, of what did you suspect me? Why did you not suspect me of trying to avoid paying you? The worker answered, I said, perhaps the opportunity to purchase merchandise, parakmatya, inexpensively presented itself, and you purchased it with the money that you owed me, and therefore you had no money available. The homeowner said, and when you said to me, give me animals, and he said, I have no animals, what did you suspect? The worker answered, I said, perhaps the animals are hired to others. The homeowner asked, when he said to me, give me land, and I said, I have no land, what did you suspect? The worker said, I said, perhaps the land is leased to others, and you cannot take the land from the lessees. The homeowner asked, and when you said to me, give me produce, and I said, I have no produce, what did you think? The worker answered, I said, perhaps they are not tithed, and that's why you couldn't give them to me. And then the homeowner said, when I said I have no cushions or blankets, what did you think? The worker answered, and said, I thought that perhaps he consecrated his property to heaven, therefore he has nothing available at the present. The homeowner said, I swear by the temple service that it was so. I had no money because I consecrated my property on account of my son who didn't engage in Torah study. 
And he sought to avoid leaving an inheritance for his son. When it came to my colleagues in the south, the sages dissolved all the vows. But at that point, the homeowner had immediately gone to pay his worker because he got some money back. And just as you judge favorably, so may God judge you favorably as well. You really need to judge others favorably. Find an excuse, any reason, any aspect to find why it could be so. Hashem will judge us more favorably as well. We are obligated to do so. It is fit for us to do so. As many sources point out, you could judge a person favorably. It is pious to judge favorably. Judge him with the benefit of the doubt. Judge him as he is your fellow, as he would be your friend. It's a good rule to adopt. It's wonderful to judge favorably. Know that you must do this. Even if someone has a lot of bad to him, try to find good. Try to judge for the good. It's an aspect of things that are really good in our best interest to do so. Judge favorably. Giving the benefit of the doubt is the best thing to do in our life. We should do what we can to concoct concoct reasonable stories to judge others favorably on any small level. Maybe he couldn't text me back because he got really busy at home taking care of his kids. Judge those around us to the benefit of the doubt, even if it might seem hard on some level to do so. Try to think about their side, what could have been going on in their lives. The only judging we should do is the judging favorably of others. One of the ways to get real Torah, real scholarship, real grasp on Torah is to judge favorably. True compassion means to judge every single person around you, even enemies, even though it should just be people you like less than others, to the side of the benefit of the doubt. Whose side are you on anyway? The side of benefit of judging favorably is the only side you should be on. Finding the benefit of the doubt for all people is a real justice to the people around you, even if it is difficult. We need to judge ourselves favorably and not be hard on ourselves as well. And realize you never lose out by judging others favorably. There's so much darkness in the world. There's so much difficultness in the world. There's so much lack of light in the world. How could he do that to me? Maybe there is a very simple explanation. I can't believe she cut me off like that. Maybe she's rushing to the hospital for a baby. Who does he think he is to jump right in front of us? He needs something Epically important from the harbor store. His toilet just went kaput. The water is getting everything. He really needs that spare part. I cannot fathom how she could leave without paying. Don't you know that she paid the tab yesterday for today? No, you didn't know that? You're missing the details. I've been waiting for three hours and he can waltz in. His relative who's in immediate surgery is going in right now and he has to pick up food for them right now because this is the only time he can eat for the next couple of hours. What audacity of the guy. He's some nerve. No, he doesn't have nerve. There's a perfectly logical explanation. Where's the decency? Where's the proper Derek Eretz? It's there. You just don't see it. You just don't know it because you're missing all of the story. What a Shanda? Your thinking is the Shanda. If we could reframe our thinking, we could reframe our lines, we could reframe these questions we started out with, we could reframe how we go about thinking about stories, how we go about thinking about people in life. We judge others all too often. We don't have the facts. We don't have the situation. We don't have the elements. We don't know what's going on in the story. Read the book called The Other Side of the Story. Understand the tips. Understand we're oftentimes missing so many things. We're not in those situations. We're not in those stories. We're not in those kind of examples in life. Stop. Think. What is the logical explanation? What is the possibility that might abound? Why is he speeding through traffic? Maybe, just maybe, someone is in trouble. I hope everyone's okay. Maybe someone's sick. I hope they have a Rafu Shalema. Maybe someone's in a very desperate situation. I hope they have a Yeshua. 
and a refuah bekarav. We should all only know from good things. If we were zochet to finally judge favorably and think about judging favorably, maybe we could finally get respect. We're in the eve of Lagba Omer. We're finally celebrating the stopping of the death of the students of Rabbi Akiva who didn't give each other respect, who didn't look out for each other, who didn't treat each other properly, who didn't interact with each other in a proper way. If we could reverse that, the base of English was destroyed because of sinachinam, at least one of them. Ahavat chinam, loving another for just baseless love, could start with starting to have benefit of the doubt in all situations. Start today. When something triggers you, something looks wrong, think about how you could reframe it. How can you rephrase it? How can you look at it in a better way? If you do so, maybe we could finally have more light in the world. Maybe we could finally have more beauty in the world. Maybe we could finally be Zohar to bring back Ahavat Chinam and only have Lashan Tov and Moti Shem Tov which could finally build up the Mikdash, the Temple brick by brick and have Elijah who finally come to bring the Messiah, to bring Mashiach speedily in our days, and may that day, in fact, be today. This has been the Tani Talks Radio. Join us next week, God willing, where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep here on the TTR. And I'm your host, Tani.